What's up? This is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman. Welcome to Mind Over Magic. It's our pleasure to be here with you today. This is Matt coming at you from Vegas. Dittleman off the road back in New York. And uh, we got to see each other in person, which was great. We did. And uh, fresh off the heels of Scoop Fest, where we both made an appearance. Yep. Right back to remote. Right back to remote. Now I'm back in New York. And yeah, oh boy, does it feel good to be back home after three weeks on the road. I had a lot of fun, of course. It was, yep. uh, you know, a little bit of work, a lot of vacation, a little bit of mix between, but boy, was it go, go, go. So I might be entertainment out at the moment. I've seen a lot of entertainment, a lot of like yep. just fat- satisfying that id part of my, you know, psych- psychosis. And what is that? The the Freudian, you know, uh, ego, super ego and id. id is well, you're asking the, the wrong guy. The pleasure the seeking, the pleasure seeking part of the brain, the id. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, definitely did a lot of that stuff. So uh, well, I'm tired too. I've got a break coming up in a few days, so I'm very much go. looking forward to that. Fantastic. It feels like it's like well needed, you know. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we did Scoop Fest. We have a lot to talk about, but we should talk about Scoop Fest, I think, because uh, that's where we spent a lot of time together. Well, I was in Vegas. It wasn't a lot of time, but yes, I was there. A little time. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited to be there. It was my first time, and what a what a great group. It's a really great group. This is, again, the uh, festival put on by the Ice Cream Social Guys, which we've uh, guested on their podcast as well. Uh, I was there to perform a bit as well. So I um, was in the, uh, it was called The Funniest Magic Show You'll See Tonight. Uh, I think we previously plugged Carissa Hendricks was going to be on that, but she uh, wasn't able to make it. Uh, but uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Burke, performed uh, his crazy stapler routine, which is just nuts. And then I performed. I had a great response, and uh, you know we had some funny moments and some great words <laughs> uh, in that show. And then uh, my friend Harrison Greenbaum performed after, and it was just a lot of fun to to show. Uh, it was sort of like a magic festival in a way <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, uh, happened at the Orleans course Casino with a bunch of other magic people in attendance. But uh, but mostly for uh, the uh, the scoops that were there who are. The yeah, this people. is a podcast festival. And it was, the cool thing is you get to see you get to be in the room with all the listeners of a single podcast. You know, it made me wonder, like, what would it be like if. If we, you know, had a sampling of our listeners in one room, you know, I wonder how eclectic it would be or or what have you. So that was like really cool and interesting for me to see. Yeah. And as we continue building up our community, maybe that's a thing down the road. If we, you know, uh, we will maybe we do a Mind Over Magic Festival in the far future from now. That seems like a lot of work planning. (laughs) They they had some amazing merchandise, some of the best merchandise I think I've seen anywhere. Yeah, they had a whole merch table. I mean, and I didn't know those I got a swag bag. Did you get a swag bag? I did get a swag bag. How good was that? Yeah. Yeah, Anyway, so we we played trivia there, which was awesome. And uh, it was all Steven Seagal related. So I knew nothing. (laughs) Well, the the point of the trivia is that it's impossible. Like you're basically doing a coin flip every time. Uh, But uh, yeah, me and you competed against uh, Piff and Jade. And I guess technically Mr. Piffles, too, was there, although he didn't contribute much. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nor did I. I was in the same boat as the dog. So... Uh, but we're actually going to have that for you to listen to uh, for next week's episode, I believe. And we'll just air that as a as a bonus uh, while we're uh, while we're. Yeah. For, for your listening pleasure, I guess. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And and Penn was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had Brian Brushwood and Justin Rondra was there. Brian Brushwood was there. Mm-hmm. And th- big thanks to to Matt Donnelly for uh, for the invite. It was really, really a good time. And all those guys, Matt Donnelly, Paul Mattingly, and Jacob Smith, you put in a lot of hard work putting that festival together. So it was a thrill to be there and to be a part of it and to meet a lot of the scoops who I know have uh, tuned in to us as well. So we appreciate you if you are a scoop listening uh, on our side. Do we need a name for our listeners, Matt? (laughs) I'm not good at coming up with – I feel like (laughs) – I feel like, uh, okay, I have a little bit of experience in this. Like, sure. with like, you can't name them yourself. Like, mm-hmm. people have to figure out what their own name is. Right. I remember, like, 
on AGT, they tried to have a couple of things stick that just never quite worked. Like, I remember one in particular, Magicians or something like that. It was like a hashtag. Oh, my God. I never heard that. It's like Magician. (laughs) Well, nobody really heard it because it didn't quite make sense or stick. But it was a thing for like a day, you know? And and it just, that was that. But, um, and I think I tried to embrace it, too. But that was that was it, it ended very very quickly. Matt <laughs> Matt Gishens, that is hilarious. But it wasn't organic. It no, was like you know, forced. AGT social media team was like, let's try this, you know. <laughs> so I think it has to be sort of a, you know. Yeah. Well, we found out during the quiz that our initials for our podcast is M O M. So I guess people could be moms. <laughs> No, you found out during yeah, you knew trivia. This. I've been well aware that the acronym was MOM for quite some time. Yeah, it was funny that it was MOM versus PP for PiffPod. Right. <laughs> Very funny. But it was good. It was good to see them there. It was, it was just a blast. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not who wins or who loses. It's about having fun, right? Uh, it's all about winning and losing, if you ask me. No, okay. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> That's yeah, great. the only person who really wins is the guy asking the questions who made up those messed up questions. Right. I th- I like <laughs> to think the audience won because they were having a good time. And boy, were they. And more than we were. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we had a blast. We had a great time. Uh, but so it was a crazy time to, to be here. It was a crazy busy. time because yeah. I was coming and going from the link, and that's where a lot of the draft stuff was. Yeah, you performed for the NFL draft. Tell us about that, Matt. How'd that go? This was insane. I've done a lot of hard gigs over the years, but so like, I don't know if if people listening are football fans to the point where they're like into the draft and and whatnot. But it's such a big ordeal. I mean, it mm-hmm. literally took over the whole town. The Las Vegas Strip became well. It took over the whole town except for the Orleans. That was clearly all Scoopfest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the Las Vegas Strip was changed temporarily to Draft Drive. Mm, you're right. I took a photo of that because you don't see Las Vegas Boulevard's name changed often. But this was such a big deal. They actually changed the street name. For I've the never time seen being. it. I'm not saying it's never happened, but in my years here, I've definitely never seen the uh, seen it change. So that was pretty wild. Um, I kicked off the draft after Cody Lee, mm-hmm. AGT alum, performed the national anthem. He's incredible. Um, lots of celebrity faces and familiar faces backstage most of which i don't necessarily recognize by face but my brother who's a big football guy was you know really having the time of his life at this thing oh great yeah in fact he texts me in the morning he was over by bally's watching the governor and roger goodell the commissioner of the nfl make a speech i'm like what are you doing? <laughs> so um, it's a really hard performance venue. So I was talking to um, a publicist in town yesterday who had some performers that were performing, not on the main stage where I was, but also uh, performers that were performing on, there was a stage on the Bellagio fountains. Yeah, I saw that. I was able to walk down the strip a little bit during the draft, which was just a madhouse. And yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, if I'm a tourist and I just came to Vegas to see the fountains, I'd be a bit disappointed that there was a stage <laughs> blocking the fountains in the Bellagio, you know, that area, and uh, all the construction that they put it up so fast. And then I saw some of them taking it down too. They were like blocking off part of the Las Vegas Boulevard or just draft lane, I guess. Uh, yeah. And it's just now, did you, crazy. I know you're bad at estimating, but did you happen to notice how far the stage was from where people stand on? draft drive no i was on the other side so i wasn't like up close to it so i had to like look across the street to see it but it seemed like it was a pretty deep stage like it went really far into the fountains yeah i think it started really far into the fountains so how do you get there do you walk on the water i thought they boated you out they boat on a boat i think so (laughs) amazing or or there may have been like a bridge yeah a bridge or a catwalk or something yes yeah but here's the thing any performer listening to this that's performed at, say, a private event or a corporate event, and they know that the, like, the dance floor between the stage and the audience is kind of the death of the show. Right. Especially really the hard to show. have any yeah. camaraderie and energy with that. Now imagine, you know, an ocean, so to speak, <laughs> or a lake between you and the audience. I heard it was like 
really challenging because it was like people up there doing jokes for themselves and just people so far away you're so disconnected and it's just madness i'll tell you that must have been even harder than what i did what i did was really challenging because it's tens of thousands of people Mm -hmm. standing in the hot sun Mm -hmm. a sea of dudes waiting for the draft to begin (laughs) the national anthem finishes and then they go here's 12 more minutes of quote unquote entertainment for you. And then I have to go out there and, you know, do what I do. And while I'm performing, mind you, tens of thousands, it's really hard to wrap your head around that, but it's a lot of people there in person. Mm -hmm. Um, There are camera crews within the audience filming different things during the acts. Right, 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 right. I mean, so like, in the middle of a routine, you'll hear like booze coming from this area because they're doing something about the Rams in front of the Kansas City fans. Oh, geez. And then over here, you'll hear cheers because, you know, they're introducing uh, someone who's going to do a top pick. Oh, I mean, it's just absolute madness. Um, I found a couple of things that worked really well. Right. And it was getting verbal responses in unison from the audience. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I took a lot of advantage of like, Da, 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 say yeah and everyone goes yeah and i'm just humming words here because I, I i don't ever know what they were at, at the time i mean i kicked into a whole I, my whole script changed mm-hmm. i cut every all the words out you can't do anything intellectual right. and it just became this like performing to the hum of the audience as if that was the music right that was just the masses of the audience the crowd there and you were essentially doing what whatever these other cameras were catching because there's something happens on stage and they're listening uh unison response of booze or clapter you know clapping and laughter depending on what the chiefs or the raiders are doing you know so you're just uh, emulating that and getting that same reaction from your magic from the people who are you know in front of your stage and who are paying attention well no there's only one stage there's there's no other stage there's huge imag screens showing what i'm doing however there will be camera crews in the audience right just yeah. doing other things at all times. So just, it's it's just it's it, it was right. insane. It That's was crazy. it was insane. But it was a good workout uh in terms of uh performance chops and all that. And I mm-hmm. will say I'm happy I didn't have to perform in between picks. There were other performers in later days where they actually like the performances would get interrupted, then they would do a pick and oh, then wow. go back to your performance. And oh. that to me would be even more difficult. Hellish, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair to say, I suppose. Especially so. if you're like right about to do a reveal. All right, they got their pick ready. Let's cut there. And yep. Yeah, yeah. I, it's one of those things. I think you just do for the notoriety because it's a big gig, and you kind of like I don't know, power through it a bit because it's not a normal performance situation at all. It's not your, you know, I got to see you uh, in your theater again, just which is your home base. And that's just so comfortable because everything's designed there. But now you're coming into this foreign environment and just got to do the best you can, given the circumstances. And uh, you still want to yeah, look good. I will good. say the energy is amazing. When you yeah. finally get to the end of a bit mm-hmm. and the whole crowd, or as much of it as you can, of that many people kind of all are experiencing the same thing at the same time. Right. It's a cool rush. But, um, I mean, you equate it to performing in an arena. In a way, it's a little bit lonely. Sure, sure, sure. You just sure. feel distant from everybody, right? So it's like one big mass as opposed to that connectivity I get in an intimate theater. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. That's, wow. And you did it. You nailed it. That's awesome, man. So congrats yeah. to you. And you, you were the kickoff, man. You were the first to act. Yeah, yeah. After the national anthem and the USA chant, they sent me out. that's so great at least you got everyone on their feet because of the national anthem (laughs) yeah (laughs) instant standing ovation upon entering yeah 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 as you're walking out (laughs) automatic just built right in there yeah (laughs) really smart that's great man and you had some guests at your show this week huh yeah, I was completely surprised. So we've we've talked about this on the podcast before because Hondro came to the show. So Hondro is a famous magician in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's full Penn and Teller four times. He uh, 
has lots of, I mean, just countless TV productions and, and credits in Spain. Um, and now, of course, some here in America, too. And now he's actually on the other side. He's working on Fool Us um, on the production side and helping Penn & Teller mm -hmm. produce their own magic for the show. And they're actually doing things in their live show that he created. So he's kind of step big shoes to fill. You know, it's kind of a lot of what Johnny Thompson used to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. That, they fool, He fooled them so many times. They're like, let's get you on our side. <laughs> That's, yeah, that right, right. Thinking. If you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. So... This was his second time at the show. I guess it's second time in the States in the past, you know, five, six months. So uh, he surprised me. I didn't know he was coming. And uh, we got to chatting after. I think he talked me into visiting Spain. Uh, yeah, it sounded like uh, the little bit I overheard. It sounds like you're planning a trip. I would. Yeah, I really. I mean, it. it, it Planning isn't really the word because <laughs> it was there. almost just yeah. like, yes, I'll come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Figure out the rest later. Um, yeah, so that would be really cool because it'd be amazing to meet the legend Juan Tamariz and so on. Mm -hmm. And I thought also if I ever make it to Spain, maybe I could meet Danny D'Artiz, who I really, really idolize. He's a magician in Spain that uh, is very, very famous among magicians and um, well acclaimed. And I still recommend his book, Freedom of Expression, which is just published in English. And there is something about the Spanish school of magic that's just like, I don't know, there's the technical ability behind it. Like every time I see a Spanish act on Fool Us or something like that, you just know they're going to have these chops that are going to like destroy Ben and Teller. So it's like, yeah, there's something and about it's not necessarily that. just the chops, mm -hmm. which are good too, yeah. but the, the psychological mm -hmm. employees are yeah. really what separates mm -hmm. for me the Spanish school from a lot of other things. Um, I mean, I've clearly been influenced by it as I was telling Hondro and he just goes, I know, I see, Oh, amazing. you know, he was yeah. just talking about the way that, you know, for example, the way that I set up, I perform at a casino table surrounded mm -hmm. by spectators, which is really directly lifted or inspired by Juan Tamaris started that years ago. And it was a, a thing that wasn't accepted. He would just, you know, be doing a TV show and have the audience be like, no, no, I want you guys to come down here and like literally make the audience leave their seats and just surround him. Yeah, that's great. So this isn't quite that, but it's certainly inspired by it to have people immediately to your left and right behind you and around you. Mm -hmm. It creates a different energy. And that's something I wouldn't have, you know, that's kind of the opposite of what we think to do in magic, considering angles and things like that. So it, it makes you have to perform a little bit differently. So anyway, even like little things like that, someone like Hondra will notice and I forget. Oh yeah, that's true. That was like, that's I was creating a Tamaris pit, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to like have him notice even like the, the overarching things that are probably less noticed. Right. Yeah. And there's all this psychology of how you deal with people in that environment and how oh, things you can do for misdirection and the psychology of, uh, you know, ploys of, picking cards and making it seem not like cards aren't picked and everything like that. So it's, it's fascinating to see that inspiration that you've told me about and seeing it actually you doing it in your show. Yeah. I am using a lot of the techniques to the best of my ability. Uh, the, the best thing was Hanjo said, I have a surprise for you on Monday night. He said, if you're around Monday, uh, I have a surprise for you. And boy, was I surprised when, the one and only Danny D'Artiz was at my show. <laughs> That's almost a magic trick in itself. There's like transported him from Spain <laughs> to yeah. surprise you. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, we've already, you and I have already connected in person, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's kind of like we were talking about a week ago or two weeks ago when you had lunch with Max Maven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, just, just, just so there's an appreciation for listeners. If you don't recognize any of these names we're saying, I mean, that's that's sometimes how it is in magic, right? It's it's but just understand that if you're a musician, it's kind of the equivalent of being like, yeah, I just went to lunch with Elton John. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just a lot of these magic celebrities aren't well known to the public, but they're legends in our field. You know, it's a it's like I guess maybe a musical correlation is like maybe, you know, had lunch with Les Paul or someone like that who might not be yeah. well as publicly well known, but like obviously a legendary guitarist and creator of guitars and stuff. stuff right. Like that. yeah. That's a good that's yeah. a good analogy. Exactly. Um, so I was like a, a little kid. I, it all happened so quickly. It's like a few days earlier. I was like being potentially talked into going to Spain to like potentially hopefully maybe for just a few minutes meet an idol there or two and then three days later you know we're, we're all at dinner it was really um awesome and i will say 
the the cards came out. I yes. didn't take my cards out. I just sat and watched like a sponge, if that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, he destroyed you. You told me <laughs> over and over, just over and over again. Everyone, everyone at the table was destroyed. Can you describe one one thing? Uh, I know you were you were explaining to me over over lunch when I saw you in Vegas, but like for our listeners, I want to hear yeah. hear this again because again, it's mind blowing, and I just want to wrap my head around it again. I, I really felt the feeling of of magic which is why i'm citing this one example mm-hmm. i got up from the table yes. and walked away yeah i was that guy that right. you see on like a magic tv special where someone like in theory kind of you might say overreacts i mean no it wasn't overreaction that was how i felt i got up from the table and walked like ran away um and it's almost even more impressive since you have a background in magic and you know the things that can be happening so you're already starting at a level of being in the know and then for you to still be that impressed that you had to like leave and back away i also study his material specifically (laughs) right so he fooled you with the stuff you should know and and it will continue to happen. That's the beautiful thing about it. And that's what Hondro and I were talking about at the table. He's like, and he'll do it for you next week, and you'll still get that feeling because mm-hmm. it's just so incredible. But um, I was asked to take a packet of cards from the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I actually kind of did it like mindlessly. Like I almost wasn't even looking. And he's like, no, no, take the ones you want. So oh, like wow. in other words, like yeah. I was just kind of like, being a good spectator and like if something was being forced on me i i wasn't fighting it right 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 but he actually goes no no take the ones you want Uh so i i I, instead of gazing off into the distance i look at the deck and i go okay i'm gonna grab this packet out of the middle Mm -hmm. and i took three cards and i set them on the table and i was told yeah just put them down don't look okay then he hands me the deck Mm -hmm. and he says deal down cards on the table one at a time most people stop at seven. There's a psychological force that with the, something weird about the number seven. You know, familiar with that? I said, of course, almost, almost too confidently. Like, come on, I study this stuff, right? right, right of course. Right. He said, well, don't do that. Do when you want. And I start dealing and like, I, I started dealing faster. Then I slowed down. Mm-hmm. Then I picked up the pace again. Like I wasn't counting. I was just dealing cards and i like purposely went for what felt like an uncomfortable amount of time not too long not too short but like this is where i want to stop nobody else it was completely free yeah yeah there was no you know smacking me on the shoulder saying okay stop now or (laughs) whatever no 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 overt anything Mm -hmm. and i stopped and i take the card i stopped at and hold it in my hand face down or on top of the deck wherever it was uh, the three cards on the table are turned over. It's the Ten of Clubs, the Ten of Hearts, and the Ten of Diamonds. And he says, turn over the card you stopped at. And I'm just shaking my head like, no. And Hondro's <laughs> sitting at the table going, don't do it. Don't even do it. Don't turn it over. And then I turn it over, and it's the Ten of Spades. Complete the four of a kind that you randomly picked and randomly dealt to. Wow. That's incredible. I haven't had that feeling in a long time. That yeah. Was, I mean, that was awesome. And like you know, slate of hand, you know the psychology behind it, and it's just wow, as clean as can be. Yeah, apparently I don't understand it enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great that you got to yeah. spend time with him and the, get that feeling of wonder. And Hondro was probably amazed too. I'm assuming. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, we all were. We were yeah. all just floored over and over. He's, you know. Mm-hmm. It's funny because he's like, oh, have you seen him do the two piles, Hondro said? I said, yeah, yeah. I saw a video of you doing it for Johnny Thompson. And Hondro says, well, do it now because it'll fool us again. You know, and he's right. <laughs> That's amazing. He's like, and you do it again next week and we won't remember. You could, you could teach us the whole thing and then you show it us again and we won't remember all the different things going on. So. Yeah, there's something about being that bulletproof. I mean, the the old adage is like first time it's a miracle, second time it's a tutorial because you know right. what to be looking for. But if you can fool someone again and again and again doing the same thing, you know, that's incredible. That's mm-hmm. that's really impressive. So Yeah. So check out the book, brother. Yeah, I'll have to do that. It's got to add to my list. I've got my stack of books is getting longer and longer or taller yeah. and taller, I guess. Yeah, that's um, great. You saw you, when you were out here. You did uh, you did some bigger shows, but you also did like um, 
Is it called Lost Spirits? Is that like the tasting slash entertainment immersive thing? Yeah, from from the get go, I was just doing so many things, man. I mean, even from the moment I landed, I noticed my Lyft drivers were very talkative here in Vegas. Uh, well, you have know. an option. You could say, "I yes, I want to talk. No, I don't want to talk, or no preference." I take it you have the no preference. Uh, I don't think I had that on my Lyft. Maybe that's an Uber thing. But oh, it is an Uber thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is an Uber thing. I just keep it on no preference for the record. I'll just show you as a uh, as 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 the difference between New York and uh, and Vegas drivers is that like in New York they get the they assume that you don't want to talk. Every every <laughs> Lyft driver I got into told me their whole life story, <laughs> even from the moment I got into the, the the first one from the airport. And the guy literally, I don't know if you knew this. There's the like he's like, hey, if you want, before I drop you off at your hotel, we could swing by the dispensary. We could go to the liquor store. I was like, nah, I'm I'm good, man. <laughs> like <laughs> and, that's a Vegas thing. There and, you go. And I found out is like there's like a whole like you know, hustle going on here where they get like a cut if they drop you off at the dispensary or liquor store and you yeah spend some- or strip club. It's all there's a there's a kickback game involved if they bring you to certain places. Yeah, yeah. that's so fascinating to me. So I, I was very much aware of that as I was listening to these Lyft drivers. And I, I don't know. It was, <laughs> well, how did you find out? He told you there's a kickback. I kind of once once I just said no, he kind of spilled the beans, so to speak. Oh. <laughs> And I was I've, like, well, that doesn't that doesn't make me want to, you know, stop anymore now that I know it's a hustle. But I feel like in L.A., I, I uh, the talking option, I feel like I there should be an option that's like. I don't mind talking, but I don't want to hear your CD. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can chat, but don't try to pitch we'll do whatever me. you want. Just yeah. don't make me listen to your mixtape. <laughs> That's amazing. But I met a billiard player who like did trick shots and do all these famous pool players. Uh, it was a wild ride. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, I did see a lot of shows. I saw Ka, uh, yeah. which is, uh, I think, maybe my Cirque, favorite Cirque du Soleil show. Now, um, you'd seen it before? I'd seen it maybe 10 years ago, something long time ago. But it's a uh, it's the fighting action, you know, samurai-esque uh Cirque show and I liked it mostly because I can it's the few one of the few Cirque shows I can actually follow the plot right <laughs> to which normally you can't do in a Cirque show it's very weird and trying to figure out what what they're really going for but um the Kosh stage is so impressive and I I recommend it to anyone just to see this crazy stage because it's a flat platform that then can tilt upwards like almost 90 degrees so it's like like flat like a like a back wall almost and then it can rotate 180 degrees from there too so it's like this weird impressive technology that can tilt and people run up it and there's wire works and people are fighting it's it's unbelievable man <laughs> it's really it's dangerous too i mean that yeah. uh, I, you know i don't i won't i don't i can't go to that one well, I know that there was an accident at one point, and they they've since uh, reassured that the you know the safety measures are in place now. It was but, a fatal accident. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that after the fact. <laughs> but, oh, you uh, didn't know that? No, not going in. Yeah. Uh, yeah how did yeah, you yeah. find out? Through a friend. Friend told me, but uh, gotcha. But it you looked like asked me. there looked like there was more uh, safety precautions uh, since I saw it last time. So I should hope. Yes, exactly, exactly. But again, the technology of that stage is really mind blowing. I will say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I did the uh, the Lost Spirits is a uh, distillery tour. Uh, now, what a, are you drinking? You have four drinks. You have five drinks. They're all rum. It's a rum oh, right, distillery. Right. And uh, they've basically created this weird, like, I don't know, maze of rooms and it's like all this like wooden um, like set design that you're walking through and there's different tasting rooms that are themed in different ways. Uh, and in between tastings, there's also a variety show aspect to it. So it's not just like a normal distillery tour or whatever where you're just going to get some tasting. You're you're there for a ride. You're there for, you know, this experience. So there was a crazy, amazing, talented tap dancer. There was a, a host who did magic. Uh, there was burlesque dancers, a snake charmer. 
uh, there's even like a hidden performance room we found where you go and there's a bigger stage and there's like a contortionist act and an aerial pole act. It was fantastic. And then you got your little themed rooms. Like there's like a tiki room themed sort of like the um, like a Disneyland, you know, the tiki room there. But one of my favorite rooms we found for the tasting was the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea room. And you go into this little um, submarine just to like as you're going underwater you're not really going underwater but it's just it's just a little pre-room until you get to the big room and they have all these like you know the little billy bass electronics oh yeah they had a show of like 20 of them all singing together for just like a quick quick little joke and then you go out of the submarine and then you're in this room and you feel like you're underwater in the room because what they've done is they have these chandeliers and they're on like some sort of track and they're swaying all in unison so it feels like you're with the tide while you're just standing in a stationary room so it's got this illusion of movement going on at the same time trippy it's really trippy (laughs) it was a lot of fun to explore and to you know have a fun little variety show that was like more than just a normal distillery uh is it always rum I believe it's a rum-based, yeah. Uh, I had friends thing. go, and I could have sworn they said it was whiskey, but you, you, you sure I it thought was it rum. was a whiskey at first. Uh, okay. Going in, and then yeah, no, they're they're rum, rum makers. That's and, probably. And is it focused term. on the drinks? Is it like a tasting? I mean, what or is it focused on the ambient? It's just kind of a weird immersive thing. It's a weird immersive thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, you could take your time. They say like, how long does it take? You go well, however long it takes you to try, you know five snifters of rum and you can purchase you know bottles and cocktails in addition to the uh, five that come with the ticket price did you do so. the meow wolf thing yet or no yeah i did the meow wolf thing with you matt <laughs> i don't recall that was, this must have been two trips ago it was me you dale gotcha Tia. yeah okay that was a while ago. that's my yeah. only time i went there yeah, so yeah 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 gotcha. so we i think we talked about it on this podcast we must have yeah <laughs> So yeah. so it's in the same area. 15 is like this little arts complex compound thing. Uh, but this Lost Spirits is uh, in its own separate building in that area. Uh, and uh, like, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was fun. awesome. And hey, then I, um, I saw Piff Show and then I saw yeah. another show. And uh, that's I really enjoyed Piff Show. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Uh, but so we there should- was another one that, that wasn't up to par. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was weird. It was a weird show. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that. Uh, so, how many did you see, including Lost Spirits? You saw like three or four, four shows. Yeah. Well, well wait, here. four and a quarter. Four and a, uh, a, a half. I don't think I left at the halfway mark in your because as, yeah. as I had a flight that evening and we were just hanging out, I got to see the uh, the first half of your show. Also, yeah, got to yeah. see your whole tech process leading up to that. With, some little technical things in your theater that you had to uh, smooth over. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's uh, it was good to see you and just to chill. That was a nice day just to relax. And, yeah, uh, we chose not to record that day, which is why we're recording remotely now. We thought, you know what? Let's just hang. Let's grab some food and right, chill right. out a bit. So that it was good. It was good because we hadn't had a chance. It was such an insane week for both of us. So Yeah, and I had been on the road for three weeks, so I was already you know, ready just at that point, uh, <laughs> itching to go home. So a chill day at the end of just going, going, going for the last several weeks, it was, uh, it was nice, to, nice to just do that for sure. Awesome. Well, I think it's that time, buddy. I think it is that time. Uh, It's time for Diddle Me This. Diddle me this, diddle me that. Will Eric end up stumping Matt Riddles? Okay, so this is more of a uh, logic puzzle, Matt. Uh, And actually, the way I heard about it was it's a uh, interview question on a Google for Google, like an application question or when they're interviewing you. So let's see how you would do if you solve this. You could get a job at Google. Cool. (laughs) Okay. I like this setup. You like this setup. All right. Uh So there's 25 horses, and your goal is to determine the three fastest horses. Now, the horses all run at different speeds, and we'll say they run consistently. It's the same time every time you race them, and they don't, there's no horses that have the same like time, but you don't know what their times are. 
Your job is to figure out the top three horses. So how many races minimum do you need to determine that? I, I feel like this is a very easy. Oh. oh, and I forgot. There's 25 horses and you race uh, five at a time. Sorry. Oh, oh that changes yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that very key part <laughs> of the riddle or logic puzzle. So you can only race five at a time. There's 25 horses. Okay, because before I knew it was five at a time, I was thinking you only need one race, and then you know who the top three are. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you can't race all 25 at the same time. No, but I can race them all in groups of five and Mm -hmm. then just log their times, no? You're not allowed to log any times. You just get a printout of who, which horses finished in what place. So you never see how fast they are. Yeah. How many races would I have to do total? Yeah, what's the minimum number of races to figure out the top three fastest horses? The top three fastest horses? This is a riddle? It's a logic puzzle. Okay, logic puzzle. All right, so five goes into 25 five times. Correct. So I would think you're doing a minimum of five races if I can only race five at a time. That will give you the fastest horse in each group of five. But you right. No, I understand. I might need to do more. All of, yeah, exactly. But like so the bare le- minimum, like you, you need at least five. Less, right. In yeah. my head, unless it's like a super trick question, it can't be less than five because Correct. then you're leaving some horses without yeah. racing them. Yeah, exactly. You have to have at least five. So you're on the right track. No right. pun intended. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so most people would say like, I think would say six. Because, right. like, that would be the initial answer. Because you go, you do five races, you take the top horse from each race, and then race those five against each other in the sixth race, and then you use the top three there. But I don't think that's a fair way to do it mm-hmm. because second place from race number one could be faster than first place of race number four. You're on the right track. You are logicking this out very well. So you do have to do that sixth race, and that does tell you some valid information. From that sixth race, you know who the fastest horse is for sure. Right, right, right. right. But now you got to figure out how to get the other two. I think you have to do uh, two more races, no? All the second places go against each other, and then all the third places go against each other, or is the way to do it in less than eight races? That's that's the question, Matt. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, you wouldn't really need. Oh yeah, huh? It's a fascinating question. That's why I like this one. To well, I could it out. see you have to do the sixth, uh, or or maybe that. Hmm. You have to put those first place ones against each other. I think. Yeah. So you do do that race. That one mm-hmm. is is there for sure. And then. The four that don't win, what happens to them? They have to race against who? Mm-hmm. But you don't have to race all of those. This is where the logic comes into this. Because in that sixth race, say you stack them all up. So um, so say, say we do our five races first, and we'll just call them, for the sake of uh, explanation, race A, race B, race C, race D, race E. And that's our first five sets of five. Yes? That makes sense? Okay. Then we take the winner of each of those, A, B, C, D, and E, and we race them together, and we know who the fastest one is. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Now, even in that race, we know two of them can't be in the second or third fastest because they finished fourth and fifth in that race. So by definition, even mm-hmm. though they were the fastest in their group, they're not the fastest overall. So you have sense? to race second and third against each other? But not only that, you were you were on the right track earlier because there's horses from the groups A and B that could be faster. Assuming that we've labeled them A, B, C, D, and E in the order of the fastest horse. You know, so you're saying races. second and third have to go against each other, but also the other second place horses too. Not all of the second horse places either. <laughs> So the way this actually works out, and I'll just give you the answer to this because I, I don't want to spend the whole episode I feel like I need a pen it. and paper to like yeah. properly solve yeah. this. Yeah. So imagine those f- first initial races, A, B, C, D, E, and F. 
or yeah, A, B, C, D, and E. Sorry, I, gave, I threw a sixth one in there. And uh, we're arranging them so race A has the fastest horse. Of uh, a, race B has the second fastest horse. Race C has the third fastest horse of that sixth race. Yes. Yeah. So there, we've just sorted them in order that way. Now D and E of that sixth race cannot be the third or second fastest. However, if we go uh, and, and and that includes all of the horses that they beat in their initial races, so we can just eliminate groups D and E completely. Now, Group C, the winner of that, still has a chance to be in second or third fastest. We just don't know. But then we have to go up to Group B next, and that was the horse that came in second in the the uh, the, the the sixth race. Uh, but the horse that came to second to that in its initial race could also be part of this. So you have to run B. <laughs> You're getting the red buzzer on AGT right now. I'm trying to explain it without visuals, which is hard on an yeah, audio podcast. Yeah, this is a pen and yeah. paper riddle. This is not a radio not, riddle. Not necessarily, not necessarily, but there is the logic of it. So the, it comes down to the horses you need to race are horse one, two, and three from group A, horse one and two from group B, and horse one from group C. However, we don't need to race horse one from group A because we already know it's the fastest. So that leaves you with five horses to race and the minimum number of races is seven. So you're right. You were right on the right track there. So I'm going to give you a half this and a half this. And I'm giving you four red X's. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put a link to an explanation video as well into the uh, show notes. Uh, because, uh, again, I can't explain it all in uh, the amount of time it does. Uh, otherwise, it would take up a whole uh, whole episode. But uh, I do think it is fascinating. So let's Play jump, the song. Play jump the song. over to trivia. <laughs> Matt picks up the question. Then he stares at it. Eric's at the ready. Time to use his wit. Pressure. 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 Trivia. Pressure. Trivia. There was a guy walking around on Facebook mm-hmm. on a Harvard campus asking students five questions, and if they answered all five correctly, they got $1,000 cash. Wow. True. I recall from oh, wait, memory that's a not couple the question. of the... No, go ahead. What? <laughs> I said true. That's not the question. <laughs> <laughs> I recall from memory a couple of those questions. A couple, not all five. I don't remember all five. I remember at least four. Okay. But, oh, yeah, that, that, that riddle you gave me made me want to give you the harder question. <laughs> okay. I do, do remember all five. Do you want all five? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, what is the largest U.S. state by area? I mean, shouldn't that be something I know automatically <laughs> that I'm blanking on in the moment right now? Uh, Alaska's really big. California's really big. Texas is really big. That Those all came to mind immediately. I think it's, I think it's a, 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 everything's bigger in Texas. Is it Alaska? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is the first U.S. state? Delaware. I knew that one. Two for two. Uh, what is the largest organ in the body? I'm pretty sure you know this. I think we did this one. Uh, your skin. Yes. Uh. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how this question was phrased because I didn't plan on asking it. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, I'll give you what I think might be the one that stumps you. Who was the first president to live in the White House? Oh, that is tough. Um, so it's not George Washington. Everyone knows he's the first president, but when was the White House built? Um... Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any historical uh, frameworks I can pull from, like movies. Like I don't even think like John Adams, uh, and then Jefferson. I believe his residency was the Monticello. Uh, I'm gonna say Madison. Whoa! <laughs> you got me. Well, who was it? I thought you were gonna get it, brother. You said it. Adams? It was John Adams. Oh, uh, he's the second one. Okay, cool, cool. And the cool. uh the fourth question the, the last question is the longest bone in the human body is 
I believe the femur. You had four out of five, uh, man. Ah, there we go. Which is not enough for the thousand, but I need to go and rewatch that John Adams HBO miniseries, <laughs> apparently. But you are much more clever than many, many Harvard students. Well, there we go. Take that, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Those yeah. are good questions, actually. Those are good questions. Well done. So uh, hopefully uh, you can use these to ask your friends, and then uh, if they get them right, if you have $1,000 to shell out, <laughs> you can do that as a prize. Oh, you know what? There was another question, too. They must have been jumping around, giving mm. people different sets of questions. You remembered another one. Let's do it. Yeah. What is the loudest animal in the world? Loudest animal? Uh, my guess right off the bat is a human baby. <laughs> well, no very humans. Loud. No humans. Okay. Um, uh, loudest animal. You know what? I think this is a trick one as well, just because you can't actually hear it above surface. I'm going to say a blue whale. Is Boom. That correct? Five out of six. <laughs> yeah. I think you may have just got $1,000, I mean, in, in theory. Okay, great. <laughs> and if only these questions of this type were part of our trivia battle against him <laughs> and not the impossible. We'll, we'll set up. You're going to listen to the whole uh, recording when we put that out. But the setup is Steven Seagal movies or movies Mikey Newman made up that sound like Steven Seagal movies. Now, you said your brother would have really, really done well on that. Right? I think he would have done all right. I don't know, but he Steven Seagal has a weird career, so there's some definitely straight-to-DVD movies that he might not even be aware of. Right, that right. Makes That's this fair. very difficult. So That's fair. He is a movie buff, and one of the reasons I did have him as you know my partner in, uh, in Cash Cab, which we did we did well on. So Crushed it. You can find that episode, by the way, I believe, on Apple TV or Amazon or somewhere. If you can't find it there, you can also come to my house and find it on my DVR. <laughs> what an open invitation. So kind of you. Well, it was hypothetical, too. You know, <laughs> I'm just letting you know it's still there in case Amazing. you come by and you just want to reminisce a little bit. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> what else uh, is popping off with you, man? we got to wind down soon, but yeah. I think we got we got a list of things. We'll have to... Uh, tackle some of them down the road yeah i want to touch on this briefly um some sad news in the massachusetts area um the uh the comedy phenom um who who had a lot of clubs and was a boston-based comedian uh dick doherty passed away and uh anyone who was in massachusetts knew in the comedy field knew of dick he was a little uh polarizing at times uh you know, some people would say you uh, you haven't been a real Boston comic unless you were banned by Dick Doherty at some point in one of his clubs. Uh, but he was always super kind and nice to me. And uh, I mean, I had nothing but pleasant experiences uh, with him. He actually uh, gave me kind of my first stage time in Massachusetts because, I mean, a lot of times comedy clubs are very anti-variety acts or anything that's not straight stand up. They're purists in a way. Um, and uh, him, in addition to other, you know, club owners in the in the state, you know, gave me a chance. But he was the first, and uh, you know, I got to perform for him at the Vault down in Boston. But he had these other, you know, Dick Doherty's Comedy Escape out in Worcester, where I was a regular. At he'd love to have me feature uh, before the the headliner because uh, it was a fun way to break up the show. And he's like, you're you're very funny, and it's just different, and adds another texture to the shows. Uh, so that was fantastic. And he actually gave me my first ever headlining spot uh, in one of his clubs, I believe up in like Lowell. I did some in Worcester as well. Uh, so he uh, yeah, I, uh, I thank him for all the opportunities that he uh, he gave me and uh, believed in me. Uh, and uh, it's very sad to, to hear him go uh, that he's, he's no longer with us. So um, uh, one of the things I do remember him telling me uh, was just uh uh, he, he talked about stage location of how to get the maximum impact out of a punchline. So mm. he would be sitting on a stool and kind of giving the setup a bit or standing towards the back of the stage as he gave the setup and then kind of walk forward and stop and stay still in the brightest part of the spotlight uh, to give the punchline. And he had all this theory of how that helped sell the joke. And, you know, it was a sort of like a psychological 
thing that the audience doesn't realize is happening, but kind of helped, uh, you know, really improve the impact of the humor. Uh, so we talk about all the psychological stuff that we do in magic as well. You know, it happens in these other fields. And, you know, Dick Doherty was the first to kind of let me open my eyes to those kind of techniques that it's not just about the joke writing. It's about the performance and the stagecraft of comedy as well. So I love that. It's one of those yeah. things people don't really talk about and even in the industry don't necessarily talk about enough or a lot. And I'm not sure it can really be taught because it requires discretion. Like you yeah. really need to know it, it. You can't just say, oh, and when you say this word, you stand here because on a different night, it might make more sense with the energy in the room to step back or go to stage right or whatever. It's like, it's hard to really convey those ideas if someone doesn't inherently start understanding them on a deeper level, which can, I think, be learned. But right. um, yeah, that stuff's, that stuff's so important. I love, I love that stuff. Absolutely, man. So... Well, uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Dick Doherty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do have to wind down, but you just mm -hmm. uh, jogged my memory on something that we can touch on briefly. Um, a few months back when we, you and I made a joke uh, when Hondro came to the show because he told me he really loved the rhythm. Oh, and, and sure. I, and I said to you, like, you know, maybe maybe he didn't like the show very much, so he just said he liked the rhythm, and he was referring to the pre-recorded music tracks used in right, the show. Yeah, you yeah. and I were joking about that. I don't remember <laughs> you said it or I said it, whatever. Um, the rhythm of the music, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we just riffed on that for a bit. Um, but here's the funny thing. I forgot all about that. He came mm. backstage again and said, I really love the rhythm. And I said, wait a minute. Stop. Please tell me more. What do you mean by that? Because yeah. no one ever says rhythm right. in do magic. Do you mean the pacing? Do you mean the, yeah, the yeah. tempo, the feel? And it, I, I think this is really very much coming from like a, a Spanish school point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I think it has to do with pacing, not just like speed, like in other words, keeping it moving, but also just sort of like, he. Well, I'll tell you what he said. I'll at least try, try to paraphrase it. He was saying like, not just the rhythm and like of the, of the language and the the cadence of speaking, but also the space between tricks when they happen, the space between the jokes, the space between the jokes and the tricks, sort of just pretty much pacing across the board mm. is like, it's it's really an interesting thing. And, and we were talking about how mentalists in particular, this is a challenge, right? Because a lot of times there's lots of buildup leading up to a reveal. So the, the pacing is, it's, it's not easy. And it's not easy in magic either. Um, but anyway, that was what he meant by it. And it's interesting because do you get to the rhythm last or do you focus on it in the beginning? I think I do it at the end. So in other words, I focus on the technique. I focus on the script. I focus on the delivery. And I think like, but maybe the most important part, because if the whole thing's not entertaining and not moving at the right pace, it doesn't really quite work as well as it should. So like in a way, it's the last thing I get to. And mm -hmm. I don't necessarily consciously think about it. It's something... I do inherently from, you know, the years of this, but I feel like it might be the most important. Do you like think about it in the beginning or the end or at all? Um, for me and my style of mentalism too, I'm always conscious because the, uh, the, the stereotype of mentalism when I was first getting into it was that it's long and drawing out and boring and it takes a long time to get to the reveal. So even as you saw, like as I did on AGT, that really affected my style of just getting to the punch a lot faster. So I, I always have pacing of getting to the magical moment in the back of my mind as soon as possible, like throughout as I'm creating something. But I think it's fascinating thinking of it as a full show um, because I think the the tricky part that I still, you know, kind of uh, have hiccups on is those transitions from one piece to the next. And you do that very smoothly all throughout your show and finding that right, like, how do we break from that amazing moment into the next piece is the segues that are interesting. And that's, I think, a lot of the part where people don't spend a lot of time focusing. And like you're saying, like, kind of do it just like, oh, I finished this. I'm going to just get to this next part and not really block it or script it out necessarily. Um, so I, I, I really find it fascinating to think of it as like that negative space. When you think of like art, you're not focusing on just the things you're drawing, but the things that you're leaving out as well. And I think we can think of that as pacing. But I think, yeah, I think it just comes after the fact a lot of the time. Yeah. And then right. you just figure it out as you go and how the audience is responding to it is, is always key. 
But think about how complex that is. Well, first of all, segues, absolutely, that's a huge mm-hmm. part of the rhythm that I hadn't mentioned. So thank you for that. But also, um, oh gosh, I just lost it because I <laughs> jumped to segues. What was I saying yeah, before that? But just that that pacing in the second half and the negative space of it all. And so mm-hmm. like, so like how how to introduce something that you're going to do this premise and then getting to it and having moments throughout and figuring out where those, you know, even for me, I think about like laughs per minute where I want those beats to be. Yeah. Um, you know, for I know sure. what I was going to say. It, it, it's worth thinking about the fact that you can perfect the slight. You can perfect the script. You can perfect the jokes yeah. if you have them. But if it's not at the right rhythm, mm-hmm. it feels off. What does it? What does it mean? And it might just be. It might. You might just lose interest halfway through, right? Right. And so if it like, stays at the same level the whole time too, like you have to vary it up a little bit. I think if it's all going at the same pace, like super fast all the time or super slow all the time, it's almost right. like yeah, we talked about that variance too. Mm-hmm. It's almost like some, me seeing all these shows in Vegas. It's just. I'm bombarded with entertainment. Like I need to take some time off and relax here in New York and then appreciate with the entertainment when it comes. No, that's a really good point is the, the, the variety of sort of pacing and rhythm is important too. Anyway, um, it's one of those things no one's really talking about. I believe in seven years, he's the only person to specifically use the word rhythm. I could be mistaken, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. specifically use the word rhythm backstage, uh, particularly as like a magician commenting on the show. Um, and I think more of us should be talking about rhythm. He's a smart guy. We should be listening. Yeah, I think so. Like, that's one of the best reasons to videotape your whole show and watch it back and pay attention on. Maybe it's not the first uh, view or the second view, but on that third view, pay attention to your rhythm and your yeah. pacing of your show. Yeah. Right. So awesome, fantastic. brother. Do you have a goal or no? Yeah, we got to do goals, man. Uh, my goal was to read a book and have a good show at Scoop Fest. I did have a good show at Scoop Fest. I was happy to meet everyone. Thank you to all of our new listeners who are tuning in. Uh, and I did not read that book. I was just going, going, going. It did travel with me, though. So uh, so you I'll, carry that over? I'll carry that over. And uh, also just, I need to rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been on the road. So I'm going to rest and okay. get some sleep. So that's I've got me. a couple books I'm reading, so I'm going to just mm-hmm. carry that over too. I will say, though, mm-hmm. on the achievement side of things, daily mindfulness practice, I'm crushing it, man. So before I jumped on with you, I did not only a seated practice, like an official mindfulness practice, but also did a mm-hmm. movement practice, which is done oh. during a walk today. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I did double trouble today, feeling good, feeling uh, aware mm-hmm. and healthy. And, uh, and you have dude, some downtime coming up too, right? Yeah, a little bit of downtime starting in a couple of days. And like I said, much needed. I'm um, I'm ready for it, you know, as put, it's approaching. You can almost taste it. So I'm going to put rest for you as well because you've been go, go, going as well. Thank you for adding that in as a courtesy. <laughs> what a guy. I think I think that's the best goals we've had is rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. So uh, anything to plug, Matt? Um, plug. I mean, you got a show in Vegas I <laughs> that I saw a half of. I do. I, you know around. what? I'll do a little exclusive here mm. um, because I haven't put it on social media yet. It hasn't been announced yet, but I'm actually uh, able to talk about it if I so choose. Um, pictures to follow, but um, something I filmed a long time ago, the Nick Cannon show, which right. will uh, sadly not go past its uh, first season. Sure. Uh, but it was a really awesome show to do and a lot of fun. And, you know, I always love working with Nick. And I uh, did a couple of segments on his show, and they will air May 20th. Amazing. That's coming up. So tune yeah. in to wherever. Or, do you know what network? or? I think it's local. like a, any other syndicated show. It depends where you live, right? Check your local listings. Yeah. See Matt on Nick Cannon's talk show mm-hmm. May 20th. Uh, you can visit me at ericdiddleman.com. Uh, and, of course, you can visit us at mindovermagicpodcast.com and shoot us an email. We'd love, we love hearing from you, especially if you have some thoughts or questions about the performance of magic or just showbiz in general. Or if you have a riddle and trivia uh, to save me and Matt some work of trying to find some on our own <laughs> so that I don't have a long, lengthy, logical problem that can't even be explained over a podcast, uh, write us at mindovermagicpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'm going to get our socials back up now that I'm on the road. It was hard to 
handle those while I was traveling. But we, you can find us at Mind Magic Pod uh, and see the photo of us uh, competing against Piff and Jade and Piffles. Uh, I posted that on one of our socials at least. So follow us at Mind Magic Pod. Uh, is there anything else, Matt? That's it. Good night. That's it. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. This podcast is over.